Amen. Glory. Whew. I don't want to stop. I want to keep going. Well, we'll get into the word, and then we'll just be inspired to worship more, huh? Genesis chapter 13 tonight. Before we get into Genesis 13, I, I want to go back to last week for a moment. I want to talk about the call of God. Because Genesis 12 starts with God calling Abram. I believe that God calls us throughout our life to certain things. It doesn't obviously have to be the same call like Abraham had, but, but God wants to speak to us, and he wants us to respond to his voice. He wants us to hear him as he calls us to things. And when you think about the call of God, you think about how compelling it is, how captivating it is. When you think about the people in the Bible that were called by God to something, Think about what they left behind in order to follow that call. You think about Abram. He left most of his family, everything that was familiar, the country that he grew up in, the, the familiarity of, of, of the life that he had there, and he was willing to leave all that to follow a call to somewhere that he didn't even know where he was going yet and to where it would lead. That, that had to be a pretty compelling, captivating call, right? Then I even jump into the New Testament, and you think about Jesus with his disciples. And you think about the fact that Jesus was approaching men and basically asking them, leave your old life completely behind and follow me. You who are fishermen, you know, like Peter and Andrew, leave the security of your fishing business, for the most part, and follow me. You, Matthew, leave your tax collecting business where you make a really good living and you follow me. I'm not going to promise you what's on the other side of that call right now, but I'm just, and, and they did. And, and it reminds us that when, when you and I are truly tuned into the voice of God, and, and if we truly want to follow God's voice, when God comes in and he begins to speak to us, his voice and his call can be so captivating that many times we're, we're willing to just, leave other things behind and just say, okay, God, here I am. And, and I say all that because I feel that the Spirit is saying here tonight that, God, there, there's somebody here tonight or maybe somebody watching tonight that God has been calling, God has been speaking to about something. And maybe at this point you sort of put your feet down and sort of, you know, I want to encourage you. As, as crazy as it may seem to leave that familiar comfort zone and all of that behind, if God is calling you, you follow it. Because whatever he's calling you to, it's the best life. It's the best life. It, it may not be what, you know, you were able to, to have in your old life in some ways, but what God will give you as you follow him will be tremendous. Tremendous. Now, we saw last week at the beginning, just to give context to this week's chapter, that Abram began to follow God, but there came a point where his faith 
to follow God was tested by that famine in the promised land. And instead of trusting God to even supernaturally supply his need in the land that God called him to during the famine, he bolted and he went down to Egypt. And he got into a lot of trouble, got his wife into a big old mess. And yet God, because God is faithful to his people and to what he promised Abram, God intervened. And he made things right, and he pulled Abram out of Egypt. In fact, Abram left with more than what he had, went down to Egypt with. And now we come into Genesis 13. And notice, in contrast to last week, where in chapter 12, verse 10, it said Abram went down to Egypt and not, not only spoke about him physically descending, in a sense, he was falling spiritually. Now, beginning in chapter 13, verse 1, he's ascending, he's climbing, he's going up from Egypt back into the Negev. And that, again, not only speaks of physically going up, he's coming back up spiritually. It is a reminder to us that, again, God is a God of the second chance, and God is a God who will give us other opportunities when we fail and, and, and when we fall. And Abram now is experiencing the grace of God in being able to come back up out of Egypt. If there's someone here tonight that's listening, and you've fallen or you've failed in some way, God is giving you an opportunity to get back up, take it. Don't stay down. Don't let the enemy keep you down. We'll talk a little bit about that even later. And so it says he took his wife, all his possessions with him, as well as Lot. Now Abram, verse 2, was very wealthy in livestock, silver, and gold. The word wealthy here is an interesting Hebrew word. It literally means to be heavy, weighty, and can also mean, and this is important, burdensome. Now listen. We all know that the Bible teaches that having material things and being wealthy is not wrong in and of itself, as long as those material things are not the priority of our life, as long as those material things do not have us more than God, right? We know that. But the Bible also points out that the more stuff we have as human beings, the more burdensome it is, the more weighty it is, the more heavy it is, the more problems it can cause. And we're going to see that come into play in a little bit. In a sense, this is a foreshadowing of what's going to happen later here in the chapter. Again, God's not against us having stuff, but we all know that that stuff that we have at times can be burdensome. It can become heavy it can become weighty. Notice in verse 3, he journeyed from place to place, literally in stages. Again, pulling up and setting down tent pegs. That was the life of Abram. He was a pilgrim. He was a sojourner. He was on a journey throughout the promised land with God, but he never settled down. He was always moving under the guidance and leadership of God. He was learning to walk with God. And he came back up out of Egypt and notice where he landed. 
He came as far as Bethel, the house of God. Why? Because he wanted to return to the place where he first set up an altar and worshiped the Lord back in chapter 12, verse 8. That's important. When he came up out of Egypt, what did he do? He went back to the first place of worship. There's a lesson in there for us that when you and I want to, in a sense, come back and ascend and climb again out of the pit or out of our failure, all of that, come back to the place of worship. Come back there, because that's what Abram did. Where he had pitched his tent at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. That's why I said at the beginning, the chapter starts out with Abram worshiping, and it ends with him worshiping from beginning to end. It is also a reminder to us that one of the things that, that would be, I think, an encouragement for all of us, I try to practice this every day, but I confess I don't do it every day, but I try to make it a goal of mine every day, is that when I first wake up, I sing a song to the Lord. And before I close my eyes at night and go to sleep, I sing a song to the Lord. I try to start my day with a song. I try to end my day with a song. I try to start my day with worship. I try to end my day with worship. In a sense, you see this being modeled for us by Abram, you see, throughout his journey with the Lord. This is the place, verse 4, where he had first built the altar, the place of worship there, and Abram, notice, worshiped the Lord. Now, I want to talk about this word worship for a moment. It primarily means two things. It means to proclaim the Lord, and we certainly understand that, whether it's to exalt him, as we sung about, to raise him up, to make him conspicuous, to praise him, to sing about him, to shout. We know that that's throughout the Old Testament, especially in the Psalms. Shout to the Lord, all those to proclaim him, to, to, to allow our praise, if you will, to even be a witness and an encouragement to others. So it's, it's about an out loud type thing, right? That's one aspect of worship here. Another is not just proclaiming the Lord, it is petitioning the Lord. It is calling upon the Lord, praying, if you will, beseeching, requesting. There's even a word in the Hebrew that speaks about, in a sense, assaulting God. If you understand what I'm saying, you know, running after, God, I'm chasing you now. And, and why is that worship? Because we are acknowledging, first of all, that there's a God that we believe in who exists, that he's interested in us enough to hear our petitions, our prayers, our requests, and that he will answer them, maybe not according to the way we ask or we want, but he will always answer our prayer in some way. Well, that's worship. And that's also worship because we're appealing to the one who's higher than anyone else in the universe. And we know that out of everyone in the universe, even those that are closest to us that would like to help us at all times, that only God can truly be all that we need at all times. He has the pulse 
of everything and everyone, you see. And that he is the one above everyone else that can do something about what my situation, problem, circumstance, or whatever I'm taking to him. That's worship. It's, in a sense, an acknowledgement of God. God, I'm coming to you. I believe in you. I'm, I'm petitioning you. I'm talking to you about this. I'm asking you about this because I know there's no one higher in the universe that I could petition than you and that you're available to me and that you're listening to me. That's worship. So it's proclaiming the Lord. It's also petitioning. Them. And everywhere that Abram went throughout the promised land, all the years that he lived, when he would set down his tent, he would build an altar. And it was at that place that he developed the discipline of proclaiming the Lord to others and petitioning the Lord. And we're going to see how that, especially that proclaiming, comes into play in later chapters. How did those people in that land that Abram was a foreigner in still, how did they know that he had a relationship with this God, this Jehovah, this Yahweh, through his worship? And it's also very interesting that even though this was the land that God promised to him, obviously he was still a foreigner yet. This land was still occupied and inhabited by other people, and Abraham, you know, wasn't, this wasn't his land yet. He was walking around it. He was seeing what it looked like and all that. He was becoming more familiar with it, but he would never actually settle in it. That would be his descendants. But he was a man of worship. And he was a man who understood God's grace because God gave him a second chance to climb out of the pit of Egypt and to come back and to ascend and to climb through his worship of the Lord. Now notice verse 5. Now the lot who was, a, who was traveling with Abram also had flocks, herds, and tents. Remember God told Abram, come out from your family and, you know, follow me first and he never did that. And as we're going to see, Lot causes a lot of issues with Abram. And, and it reminds us of another lesson here from chapter 13, and that is, I'll say it this way. Be careful of who your traveling companions are in life. Can't do better than having a good traveling companion. Somebody to do life with, somebody to do ministry with, somebody to partner. You've got a good one, man, you're, you're blessed beyond imagination. But if you chose or so, to, to, a bad traveling companion, it causes constant issues. And Abram was having constant issues with Lot, always as we're going to see. And here's one that is pointed out pretty dramatically. Notice verse 6. The land could not support them both while they were living side by side because both of them, Lot and Abram, had so much stuff, if you will, that the land could not lift it all. It could not literally carry it all. That's what the word support means. Again, it reminds us there's nothing wrong with having things. But those things can get to a place where they're harder and harder maybe to lift or carry. And God wants us to never allow material possessions 
or things or the wealth of this world to become burdensome to us. He wants it to be a blessing to us and to be able to enjoy things, but not to the place where they become burdensome, causing issues between people, as we're going to see here. Because then notice, it says, because of their material possessions, verse 6, or their earthly stuff was so great, they were not even able to live alongside one another. And there became these quarrels, these disputes, verse 7, these strivings between Abraham's herdsmen and Lot's herdsmen. Let me stop there. You and I all know that this is true. Maybe this has happened in your life. I've seen it happen in my family's life. I think I've used the example before from my own family. <clears throat> and it was so strong that it will forever be etched <laughs> in my mind and on my heart that my own father uh, basically lost the relationship he had with his brother and sister over the stuff that his parents had. That when they passed away, they wanted to fight over it, and my father wanted nothing to do with it, but that even that became such a, a wedge that they sort of drifted apart over stuff. I see it all the time as pastor, as a pastor, especially when someone passes away and their family starts to feud and fight over the stuff that's left behind. It's sad because I've seen families split. I've seen relationships severed over stuff. And that's exactly what's happening here. And this is before anybody died. This is just, they had so much stuff, they couldn't get along with each other. The stuff became more important than the relationship. And you and I have a lesson. We, we need to be careful that we don't put our stuff before relationship or even the accumulation of stuff before relationship. We'll see that played out here in a little bit. And notice something else the Bible tells us in verse 7. The Canaanites and the Perizzites were living in the land at that time. Why do they point that out? Because, because the people of God were not at peace with one another and not getting along, it put the people of God, Lot's family and Abram's family, in a vulnerable position before their enemies. And guess what? The same thing is true today. When you and I as Christians do not get along with each other and do not stay unified, it puts us as the people of God in a more vulnerable position before our enemies. That's why God calls us to be unified in him and to realize that we have a common enemy. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, the Bible says, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world and that there's spiritual forces trying to divide us from God and to divide us from each other. And we must be on guard and alert and aware that this is constantly something that is happening or could happen in our church, in our families, in all of our relationships in life. And that's exactly what was happening here. It was a twofold situation. It was not only going to, in a sense, tear a family apart, but it was going to put them in a more vulnerable position before the enemy because now, in a sense, 
They were divided. But notice, Abram tried to be the peacemaker. And Abram said to Lot, verse 8, let there be no quarreling or contention between me and you. Let's not let this come between us and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen. For we are close relatives. Literally, we are brothers. We're part of the same family, Abram said. And I would say we could translate that over into our day and age where as brothers and sisters in Christ, same thing. We may not be related by blood, but we're related by the blood of Jesus Christ, which to me is ever stronger. And God is saying to us, don't let lesser things divide you because you are part of the same family. Verse 9, is not the whole land before you, Abram said? So separate yourself now from me. In other words, you know what? It'd probably be good to put some distance between you and I. You know, there's a principle there. There are some people that it's just better to put a little bit of distance, boundaries between you and them. Not healthy to be too close to certain people. Some people, hey, you know you can open up your heart and open up your life and that you're safe with them and, and all of that. But there are other people, it's like, no, nah, I, I think I need to just put some distance between me and you. And Abram is fleshing this out. And he says, if you go to the left, then I'll go to the right. But if you go to the right, then I'll go to the left. Notice something here. Abram is the senior partner. Lot is his nephew. In Abram's day and even in our day, the elder would have been the one who had the right to pick first. Why does Abram defer and give Lot the first choice of what land he goes to? Because Abram trusted in God. That's how. Abram trusted God so much that he was able to defer his choice. See, we're going to talk more about this even in the weeks to come. Abram believed that God was in control and that God would give him whatever God wanted to give him and that he didn't need to fight for it. Oh, today we live in such a world where we think we, even as Christians, we need to fight for stuff. Listen, if God wants us to have it, God will give it to us. And we don't need to be out there scratching and clawing for it. God will place it into our hands. And that's exactly the faith that Abram had. That's why he said, Lot, you go. You, you choose and I'll take the leftovers, basically. Now, very important. Notice verse 10. Lot looked up and saw the whole region of the Jordan he noticed that all of it was well watered before the Lord obliterated Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, all the way to Zoar. So Lot chose for himself, oh, that's important, the whole region of the Jordan and traveled toward the east. A couple things. First of all, Lot was walking by sight, not by faith. Notice. He doesn't consult the Lord. He doesn't go to worship the Lord and seek the Lord's advice or counsel or anything on this. 
He looks out and he bases his decision based on what his human eyes could see. And there's something else about Lot's decision that you and I can apply to our own lives. And that is that Lot's decision was based on economic factors without considering the spiritual dimension of his choice. Why do I say that? Well, if you go down to verse 13, notice the people of Sodom where he chose were extremely wicked rebels against the Lord. See, Lot's first priority was, what's the best land that's going to put me in good stead economically and materially? Not, what's the best choice for me spiritually? Even if I take a hit economically and materially and physically, if I'm spiritually better off, then that should be where I choose. And can I tell you, we live in a world even amongst Christians where that decision is made pretty regularly. Where Christians are making decisions in their life about this or that, if they're honest, based on how it impacts them economically, not how it impacts them spiritually. And the reason I say that is because as a pastor, I've seen people come and go and leave and move. And I'm not saying everybody that leaves and comes and goes. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying there are certain instances where they left for something better materially and economically, but spiritually bad for them. And I think Lot here is a great example of it would always be better to take a hit economically and stay in a spiritually good place than to choose the physical over the spiritual. And the fact in verse 11, it says basically Lot chose this for him. It was all about him. And obviously you and I know the rest of the story, right? We know that this choice did not go well for Lot. It caused him and his family terrible problems for the rest of their life. And it reminds us, too, that the consequences and ramifications of our choice sometimes unfold very slowly. Lot didn't see negative consequences of this choice right away. It happened little by little, and it was deferred for quite a while. Well, look at verse 14. Notice very significantly, it was only after Lot departed that the Lord spoke to Abram. And I love this because I believe that God, obviously seeing what happened, wanted to come down and wanted to speak into Abram's life and wanted to bring him a message of reassurance. <coughs> wanted to say, it's okay, Abram. In fact, then he says, look, God's telling him, look, it was an admonition for him to see something through the eyes of faith, because guess what? The land that Lot chose, it was, it was, it, it was beautiful. It was like the Garden of Eden, probably. <laughs> and when Abram looked at the land that was left over, it looked like the moon, 
or if any of you have ever traveled through New Mexico and you're coming out of Albuquerque on your way to Gallup and you get a few miles outside of Albuquerque and you come out there and you go, where am I? Am I on another planet or something? And you just feel like you're out in the middle of nowhere and there's just nothing. But God said, look, I want you to see this land. Yes, in comparison to the land that Lot chose, it looks like nothing. But I want you to see this land through the eyes of faith. I want you to see that the place where you're standing, if you go to the north, the south, the east, and the west, I'm going to give you this land that you see to you and your descendants forever. And notice again, and I pointed this out last week, Abram had to follow the Lord for a time before he actually got to lay his eyeballs on that land. God did not show him that land as soon as he called him. Abram had to follow the Lord for a time before he finally got to see glimpses of this land that God would give to him and to his descendants. All that's happened up to this point, I, that's why I entitled this chapter, A Parting of the Ways. It's almost like a, an illustration or a real-life example of Psalm 1. You know, two kinds of people. There's this kind of person that walks this path away from God, and there's this person who walks this path with God and toward God. And that's Abram and Lot. They're on two different paths of their life. And God goes on to say, I will make your descendants like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone is able to count the dust of the earth, then your descendants also can be counted. God is reassuring because he's a God of reassurance. He knows we need reassurance. And he wants to come down and say to Abram, Abram, I'm proud of you. I'm proud that you trusted me enough that you left it up to me and that you let Lot have what Lot wanted because I'm going to give you this. And trust me, when I give it to you, it's going to be good. It's going to be really good. And we know that because what we're studying in the book of Joshua and, and all of that, we, we saw the very first week that out of the book of Deuteronomy, God told Moses, I'm going to give you this land, and this land is so amazing that once you get in there and you start living there, you're going to want to praise me because it'll have everything you want. That was this same land. God transformed it. And that's what God wants us to see. That's why God wants us to walk by faith, not by sight. He wants us to trust him and his promises over what we can see and making our decisions based upon worldly standards like Lot did. And then I love this, verse 17, God told him, get up, arise. You know, that's important. If you and I are going to journey with God, there are times where we're going to fall like Abram. There's times where we're going to get knocked down by others or whatever. But it's so important that we get back up. A righteous man falls down seven times and gets back up every time, Proverbs 27, 17. I love that. It's not that even the righteous or godly won't fall. We will. None of us are perfect. But the righteous will rise back up every time. I, I just want to encourage you tonight. Maybe you feel down tonight. Maybe you feel like you've been knocked down or you've fallen down. 
God is saying to you tonight, arise, get back up and keep walking with me. Because notice, God says to Abram, get up and walk with me throughout the land. Keep moving with me, for I'm going to give it to you. And again, you can imagine what Abram thought. Everywhere he looked, he not only saw this barren land in comparison to the land that Lot chose, everywhere Abram looked, he saw other people. He saw the Perizzites and the Canaanites and the Amorites and all the ites. And they were there in droves. And Abraham's probably thinking, you're going to give me this land? Yeah. Yeah. You're not going to actually see it fulfilled, but you're going to be that first link in the chain. That's your role. I needed to get started with somebody. And so I'm starting with you. It reminds us how when God calls us, each of us has a role to play. Each of us has a part to play in that chain that God is, is making throughout history. You know, for Abram, it was never to be settled in that land and to actually enjoy the land, so to speak. It was sort of be, to be the trailblazer, the pioneer, if you will, that was going to blaze the trail for others behind him. Sometimes that's our life. Sometimes it's not as much about us. It's about us blazing a trail for others who will come after us or behind us. And then I'll close with this. Abram moved, verse 18, his tents and went to live by the oaks of Mamre in Hebron. And what did he do? He built an altar, a place of worship to the Lord there and he worshiped the Lord. Now, don't miss this. What prompted Abram's worship? The Word of God, the revelation of God, the reassurance of God. After Lot chose, I'm sure, humanly speaking, Abram probably thought, did I make a mistake? I see my nephew walking down and going towards that lush green valley with, you know, waterfalls and foliage and, you know, the palm dates and the date palms and all. And I'm sure he probably thought, did I, did I make a mistake? You know, sometimes we're like that. We, we believe we heard the voice of God and that we're following him, but then maybe it seems like things aren't turning out very well or that others are prospering and we're not so much, and God may want to come in and just reassure us, yes, you keep walking with me. You keep trusting me. It's going to work out for you, but you've just got to believe and not walk by sight, but walk by faith. You worship me. You make worship a priority. And just the mere fact that God speaks into our life should be motivation and inspiration for us to worship him at all times. In fact, even here tonight, I'll end with this. If you believe that God in some way has spoken to you tonight, then you know what? That's motivation enough to worship him. The very fact that you and I, mere human beings, can hear the voice of God, can discern his voice, can know when he's speaking into our life and into our minds and into our hearts, and that we can receive his messages should elicit worship. So this is a great example, again, in the Bible of how the Word of God 
inspires worship, and then worship inspires us back to be listeners to the Word of God and how it just continually complements each other. That's how God wants to build our lives around worship and the Word. Let's continue to build our lives around worship and the Word. Let's pray. God, we thank you tonight for this powerful story of Abram coming up out of Egypt and coming back to you, God. And how, Lord, he had to trust you over and over again. How he had to learn to walk by faith and not by sight. How he had to just continue to just every day just keep walking with you and worshiping you and hearing from you. And God, that's really, that's our life. All you want from us is just to walk with you every day, to hear you speak into our life, and then to worship. And so, God, I pray tonight that all of us have been maybe encouraged to just do that, to not make the Christian life more complicated than it has to be, to keep it simple, walk with you, worship with you, and listen for your word every day. God, thank you for this time we've had in your house. Thank you for the tremendous time of worship that we had. May we take the songs that we've heard and that we've sung tonight, God, and may we wake up tomorrow maybe singing those songs to you tomorrow and maybe even as we go to sleep tonight singing those songs to you tonight, God, as we praise you for speaking into our lives. God, thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless. We'll see you next week.